Everywhere I go on this road, high and low, where I go, I go with you. Hi everyone, Josh here. This is the NOYC Godcast, a production of the Northern Ohio Youth Camp. Through various means, including a week of summer camp, youth conferences, sporting events, Christian content, and now a new podcast, the NOYC strives to give Christians a reason to continue on in Christ. We hope you enjoy a very special edition of the NOYC Godcast as we air a segment from our video devotion series, Life's Highway, which premiered back at the NOYC in 2017. For more information regarding the ministry, as well as additional Christian content, please visit our website at www.thenoyc.com. Have you have ever been riding along on the highway, cruising, and enjoying your nice summer day, only to look into your rearview mirror to see those infamous red and blue lights pull up behind you? You know all too well what regret feels like. One minute, you're enjoying the open road at high speeds, and the next minute, that hit feeling in the bottom of your stomach kicks in telling you now you've done it immediately you probably start feeling regret for going that extra 10 over the speed limit just to get there one or two minutes earlier and you're left thinking wow was it really worth it ironically cars and highways had been around for nearly a hundred years and not one of these automobiles came with what most of us would consider a standard feature in a car today the rear view mirror. Actually, in the 1900s, vehicles came with a whopping zero mirrors. That is, until Elmer Berger invented and patented and sold his new fangled automobile accessory that he called the Cop Spotter. This vehicle add-on was sold at hardware stores for only $4 a piece and consisted of a 3x5 piece of mirrored glass that could easily be attached to the top of your windshield. As advertised, its purpose was to help spot cops before they spotted you. Now, instead of driving safely with your eyes fixed upon the open road while going the speed limit, drivers were able to go at higher speeds, drive recklessly, all while looking behind them through Burger's cop spotters. Then in 1911, the first publicized use of an actual rearview mirror occurred during the Indy 500. In the very early days of it, it was customary for the race car drivers to have a ride-along mechanic to take the passenger seat with them during the race. This way, the driver could maintain the focus on the road and what lied ahead, while the rider could look behind at the competition. However, Ray Heron, an Indy driver in the early 1900s, broke all the traditions by trading in his riding mechanic for a mirror that sat on top of the dashboard. While this allowed him to lighten the load of his race car, therefore allowing him to go faster, it ultimately was a great danger and a hazard to Ray, himself, as well as the other drivers. Ray admitted that while the idea of the mirror was a good one, on the bumpy brick-paved roads of the Indy track in the 1900s, the mirror was virtually unusable, as it vibrated on the dash, causing what was behind him to be barely visible. So after the race had begun, and Ray realized this unfortunate effect of the track, he ended up having to physically turn around and look behind him at his competitors while driving the car in the Indy 500. It may seem kind of obvious to us, but whenever we are on the highway, we are intended to look forward, not backward. Very obvious repercussions can take place when we are on the road. And instead of looking where we are going, we are busy looking at what was behind us. It's dangerous, it's harmful, and it's difficult, really, to get anywhere this way. 
I'm sure that I'm not the only one who from time to time gets stuck in the past. Sometimes in life, although I really want to go forward and I know the future is bright and the road that lies ahead is a good one, I am too busy looking in my past, looking at what has already happened, at the hurt, the pain, the sin I've endured on miles past in life. Maybe like the speeding driver we talked about earlier, you looked in your rearview mirror to find your past, full of mistakes, sins, failures, and when you look behind you, that pit begins to form in your stomach. The shame of your sins starts to weigh heavy on you. You regret the decisions you've made, and now, with the flashing lights behind you, the past is all you can think about. While we all make choices that we should have never made, and every one of us sins still since becoming a Christian, can I let you in on a little secret? If we have repented and asked for forgiveness for that sin and that decision that we made, God doesn't want us to look into the rearview mirror at it any longer. If we've repented, He has forgiven us. It's done, final and settled. At the point of forgiveness, God moves past what we've done, and He wants you to do the same. But that's not always so easy. A lot of people think that God won't forgive what we have done. And he's up there in heaven with his giant ticket book, writing down every slip up and every bad choice that we make. And one day, he's really going to stick it to us. Although he does in fact see everything we've ever done, if we ask him to forgive and turn away from that sin, he rips that out of the ticket book and throws it away, never to be looked at again. Isaiah 43:25 tells us, He that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake will not remember thy sins. Literally, God doesn't remember sins that he has whited out for us. It would be so ridiculous for God to forgive and forget those sins that you committed against him and look down and notices that you're still feeling that regret and dwelling on what you did wrong. If God forgives us, who are we not to forgive ourselves? God wants us to move forward in life, past the mistakes and the sins that he has forgiven us from. He moves past all of it and is waiting for you with a bright future. So leave it behind and catch up to Him. For some of us, we may have accepted that God has forgiven us of that sin when we repented. But we still keep looking in that rearview mirror at that mistake and it's affecting our life in a different way. We may understand that He has forgiven us and now, looking behind us, we believe the lie that we are bound to repeat our mistakes. Because we have failed before, and because we have continuously slipped up into that sin over and over again, we are destined to keep sinning. Looking in the rearview mirror, we determine that this is just who we are, a hopeless person with a heart that is bent towards sin. But this doesn't have to be the case. There was an old Peanuts cartoon strip that showed Charlie Brown and Lucy playing baseball. As a fly ball whirls into the outfield where Lucy stands, she misses the ball. After the game, Lucy apologizes to Charlie Brown and explains that she started remembering all the times that she had missed the ball before and made her miss it this time as well. She tells Charlie Brown, the past got in my eyes. The fact is, we are a lot like Lucy. Because of our past and because of our tendency to stray towards sin that comes from our flesh, when temptation comes along, we start to look in the rearview mirror. And the past, it gets in our eyes. We think that because we gave in to temptation the last time and the time before that, 
We have no choice but to give in now. This is an ingenious entrapment by the devil who plays mind tricks and leads you right into sin once more. But if we would realize that we can have victory over our sins, that we can say no to the temptation regardless of what we did last time or the time before, we can walk away from the sin and be pleasing to God. When it comes to sin, if we are busy looking behind us at our track record, because we're human, it won't be pretty. The mirror will be filled with mistakes and failures. But don't let that be an excuse to add to your rear view regret. The book of Hebrews reminds us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Make a choice, be determined that this is it. I will stop giving in to temptation regardless of my past. I will stop the sin today. Although all of us have sinned, there are some other things that can, we can see in the rearview mirror that can have an effect on our future. For a lot of people, guilt of past mistakes isn't what keeps them from having their future, but it's the past pain and hurt that has been done to them. The past may be filled with the wrongs that were done to you, and you're constantly reminded of the scars that they have been left and the things that you have never deserved, but that still greatly damage your life. You may want to move past it. You might grasp that there's a bright future ahead of you, but when you try to move past it, you can't help but look in that rear view mirror. Your mind keeps on going back to the what ifs, the what could have been, and the why and the how. You replay that hurt over and over in your head, feeling the pain of what happened all over again. And while I am in no way downplaying the terrible things many of you have endured in the past at the hands of someone else, we must keep in mind that it is in fact in the past. If we let what has been done to us dictate and ruin our bright future because of the past, we are empowering this pain. Now, it ruined our past and it's ruining our future because we allow the hurt to continue and continue, stealing what the future beheld from our grasps. In no way are you condoning what happened to you when you move past it. But truly, you owe it to yourself to take the power away from what has been done to you and give that power to take control of your life back to yourself. Stop looking behind you at what has happened. Look away from the rearview mirror of the past and instead, look to what lies ahead. Of everyone we could talk about in the Bible, possibly the absolute greatest example of someone who is hurt in their past, done wrong, betrayed, and devastated by those closest to him would be none other than, you guessed it, Joe. Joe, as you know, was thrown into a ditch and then sold into slavery. Then his brothers told his father that he was dead. Now, it's pretty hard to downplay the hurt and the pain that was inflicted on Joe. I mean, I've been hurt by people, and I've even been hurt by my own family before. But I can't say they've ever thrown me into a pit to starve and then sold me into slavery. That's a whole new level of mistreatment. Yet, that was Joe's reality. Year after year, as a slave serving and doing menial tasks, Joe was reminded of how one day he was part of a wealthy household and how he was his father's favorite. But now, he was a slave. From the dungeon he was placed in, no doubt there were days when Joe tried but couldn't kick that hurt that he was constantly reminded of from what his brothers did to him. If it had been most of us, let's be honest, we would have probably never would have been able to let that go. We, most of us would have probably spent every waking minute of our life planning our revenge on our slave-selling siblings, waiting for the moment when we could take back what was stolen from us, our life, and our future. 
Most of us would have moped, pouted, and allowed the wrong that was done to us by our own flesh and blood to dictate our life from that moment on. Consuming our thoughts, shaping our actions, forming our future, and really making us into something that we weren't meant to be. But do you know what Joe did? Joe did what was the most difficult. He left the past behind him. Joe, as you may remember, is now the head of the palace in Egypt. He now, as the top-ranking official to Pharaoh, had control over the lands and the decisions that were made in it. In a very ironic yet divine turn of events, it just so happens that back home there's a famine and all of the food is gone and there are no crops growing. Well, since the first Walmart or McDonald's wouldn't open for several thousand years, people had to get creative or starve. Well, wouldn't you know that of all the countries on earth, Egypt, where Joe was ruling, was the only place to find grain. Thanks to Joe's interpretation of the dream, Pharaoh had stored up all his crops for years so that Egypt would be set in case of a famine. So Joe, being the head of the lands in Egypt, begins to sell the corn to the Egyptian people and even to the foreigners so that they wouldn't starve. Now Joe's family back home was no exception to this famine. They were starving just like everyone else. So Jacob, Joe's dad, tells his siblings to make a trip to Egypt and buy some corn or else they're all going to starve. So in a plot twist that is too good to be true, Joe's brothers, who had hurt him, betrayed him, and done the unimaginable to him, were heading his way. Joe's brothers reach Egypt, and they stand before the ruler of the lands, the one who held the power and the one who held the food. And that was Joe. Only, they didn't recognize him. Maybe the years of slavery and the crazy turns of events that was Joe's life had changed his appearance so much that his own family didn't even recognize him. But Joe knew who they were. And so Joe's brothers, unbeknown to them, bow down in Egypt to beg for food at the feet of none other than the brother they betrayed. At this point, Joe holds all the cards. He literally has the power and the world at his disposal to do anything that he pleases. And here before him are the people who hurt him the very most in his life. If there was ever a scene developed for an evil villain taking his long plot of revenge, this is the one. But do you know what Joe does to his brothers? Joe does the unthinkable. After having a little fun with his siblings, Joe stands before his brothers in Egypt and he begins to weep openly and very loudly. So loud that the house of Pharaoh heard him crying. Joe gives up the charade and he tells his brothers, I am Joseph. The brothers half don't know if this is some twisted joke or if they should be scared out of their minds. Joe tells them again, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. But the next thing that comes out of Joseph's mouth is the perfect illustration of leaving the past behind and looking to a bright future. Joe looks into the eyes of those men who had derailed and seemingly ruined his life in the worst way imaginable. And he says, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Joe went on to kiss and embrace his brothers, the people who had so deeply scarred him, he had now forgiven and showed them grace. So easily Joe could have allowed to what was done to him in the past to loom over the entirety of his life, constantly looking behind him at the pain and the neglect. But do you know what else Joe said to his brothers? 
With this now all behind them, the hatchet had been buried between Joe and his family. Joe says, Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. This is what it looks like to stop looking behind and to start looking in front of you. There's a reason that the windshield of a vehicle is so much larger than the rearview mirror. We are meant to look in front of us, not behind us. Paul tells us in Philippians 3.13, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. In other words, Paul was admitting that he may not understand everything that has happened, but regardless of what has taken place, he was determined to leave the past in the past and to reach for what lies ahead. And we really should do the same. There's just not room for the past in your future. Whether it's the sins and the regrets that have entered your life that you just can't seem to get over, it could be the hurt and the pain that has been done to you that keeps you looking backwards. But there's also one more image many people see in their rear view mirror that really distracts them from keeping their eyes on the road. A lot of people look behind them. Instead of having regrets about their past, they look back and see great success. They bask in what happened to them. The amazing thing God has done for them in their life, the beautiful events that have taken place, the great ways that God has worked for their good, Many people become so nostalgic and mesmerized by what God has done in their past that they allow their future to pale in comparison. Now, if God has done great things in your life and in your past, praise Him for it. Thank Him for all that He has done. Don't shy away from it. But instead of dwelling in those past successes for the rest of your life, be committed to what new success or works that He has in store for you. Until we are in the ground and six feet under, God is never finished working through His children. Each and every one of us, regardless of age, has something that God wants to do through our life, right now, if we would allow Him. We can once again picture God in heaven, looking down on us as we look at our vibrant past, and He thinks, yeah, that was great, but if you would look ahead, I have even greater things in store for you. Don't be a one-hit wonder. Don't be a nostalgic Christian. You serve the one and only still living God. He is just as mighty and as powerful today as he was at the Red Sea and in the Great Awakening and as in the 50s. He wants you to do just as great of things in 2017. He is willing and even has it planned out. But when we are too busy looking through the rearview mirror instead of the windshield, the future becomes limited. What the world around us must think of our God when they see the lives of Christians being unfulfilled and lacking in divine intervention, all because we are mesmerized at the past. It's no wonder many unsaved people have no desire to serve the God that we make him out to be. Why would they, who are living in the here and now and looking ahead, want to serve a God who we make look like a Hall of Famer? Our God is alive and he is just as vibrant and just as vigilant as he was when he said, let there be light. So, Christian, your job is to act like it. Stop living in the past. Stop being a backwards believer. And show the world that God is still doing great and amazing things, even today. It may be a stretch of the imagination, but what if one day, when we all get to heaven, we were to sit down at this huge empty table 
and God walks up and he unrolls his unbelievably huge, color-filled, beautiful roadmap onto the table. Then God begins to show us every mile we traveled on the map and every path that he created for your life while on earth. We can see the different scenes of our life along the road, every significant mile marker that we passed. Maybe you wince slightly as you remember some of the more hurtful mile markers in the darker areas of the map. But the wince is wiped away when you see the good times and the great parts of your life that God gave you. And you smile up at God as you reminisce. But then, about halfway down the table, almost halfway down the map, you notice that there are some roads that are sketched into the map. They look impressive and spectacular, but they aren't colored. And they look as if they hadn't been completed. You ask God, why only half the map has been finished if your life on earth is already done? God then takes you to the unfinished side of the map and begins to unveil all of the miles that you were meant to go in this life. All of the great and beautiful events and the happenings and the successes that He desired for your life, but that you never obtained because you were busy looking behind at the miles in the rear view mirror. We can never move forward while looking backward. It, it just doesn't work. It is true that God has a magnificent plan for your life, and a remarkable and beyond imaginable future that lies ahead. But we will miss it completely if we look through the rearview mirror our entire trip. Leave the sins and the mistakes and the regrets and the failures of the past. Ask God to forgive you, repent, and move on. God has, and He's waiting for you to do the same. Overcome the hurt and the pain that has dictated your life so long. Stop looking into the rearview mirror and the wrongs that have been done to you. Don't bask in what's behind you. Recognize that there's even brighter future that lies ahead of you, and you have to just grasp it. God is just as alive and ready to do something great in your life today as ever before. The fact is that the future is so bright, like really bright, even something to be excited about and look forward to. For the believer, we're told in 1 Corinthians 2.9, But it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. God has planned out the entirety of your road trip called life, from beginning to end. And He tells us that He really has great plans for our future, plans that are beyond description, that man can't even comprehend. Yet we can never receive and enter into this great and bright future while we're dwelling in the past, looking behind us. The windshield is indeed much larger than the rear view mirror. So make sure which one you're looking at when you're heading down life's highway. Ira Stanfield, who had his share of hurt and regret in his past, penned the eloquent words to the hymn, I Don't Know About Tomorrow, in the 1950s, describing a settled future with the one who holds it. I don't worry or the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what lies ahead. Every step is getting brighter as the golden stairs I climb. Every burden's getting lighter, every cloud is silver lined. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. 
Again, we encourage you to head over to our website or the description of this video. We do have a link there with some memorable moments from the NOIC. Also encourage you to share today's podcast so that others can be encouraged and invigorated as well. And so thanks so much for joining us today. Until next time, continue on in Christ.